Welcome back to the DC pod. I'm Christian here with Darcy to cover all things basketball. Now people will know from tuning into the pod, we always kick things off with a Mavericks check-in. Darcy, mm-hmm. I really like how you boys have been playing as of recent. I know the big win over the Nuggets the other day was probably KP's best game I've seen in, gosh, maybe since the bubble. He, he looked really comfortable in all uh, facets of, of the game itself and was a big reason why you're able to get a double-digit win over a you know, Western Conference rival. I'm I'm a big fan of, of what's happening with Dallas. You can sort of see it's starting to click at the moment. And I'm really high on you guys to to back it up and get the win against the Clippers today, which is currently um, happening while we're recording. But what's your assessment of, of your boys? Mate, it's good. I wasn't panicking when we had that podcast earlier. I know that um, the record didn't look too good, but uh, I think no. we'll touch on it in a little bit in terms of when we look at teams who might be snaking up the standings. But... Uh, I'm enjoying watching Mavericks basketball right now. Having them all out on the court is great. And uh, yeah, this will be another good test in the game today. And the uh, the Clippers will be, I think, a bit a bit, a bit g'd up for this matchup after we spanked them by 50 earlier in the season. True. I just got a notification there that it, that Ibaka is out for this game, so that'll um it'll test their front court depth as well. I'm interested for this one. Yeah, definitely. So you touched on it um, as well. We'll be doing the snakes and ladders. So looking at teams that. Uh, potentially would drop off in this second half of the season and teams that'll, you know, climb up the ladder and make a bit of a, a jump and push um, for the for the playoffs or playing. So we'll cover off that. We'll do a rookie update. The last one we did was, uh, I don't know, early Feb, maybe late Jan. Like a long time ago. Feels like it's been a couple of months ago where we, you know, basically picked out a couple of rookies. So we'll do the same thing with that. A couple of young guys that we've kept an eye on. And uh, we'll clean things up, as always, with our locks. So, uh, Das, you ready? Let's get it rolling. Lead pass. Whoa! Stop it! Stop it! You not do it like that! What are you doing, Dragons? Parker. Jalen Smith! We just Step back, puts up the three, got hit, shot's good, and one! James Harden double team and a chance for a four-point play. So off the top, we'll get things kicked off, snakes and ladders. So obviously, um, you know, the snake is the team that will drop. The ladder is who we think will make a climb. So Darce, did you want to get started with a snake? We'll get started with a team you think will drop. So you, you can kick things off. Okay, so... First team I think that might snake down standings is the Spurs. I um I've liked the way they've played this season, but it's true that they have the most games left to play out of any team. Yeah, and that's pretty much due to the almost a week, week and a half long layoff they had with COVID. And for them, it's going to be a long sprint to the playoffs or the play-in for them. And it's just the reality is that they've had a reasonably easy schedule so far. And in their last ten, they're five and five. Their overall record now is 19 and 16. So they've got a, a couple games above 500. We know that um, DeRozan's been out for the last two games dealing with the um, the death of his father. And they've really looked like they have struggled in that time, struggled to score the ball. I think major thing that's going to be playing against them, at least in this next little month or couple of weeks, will be what's going to happen with LaMarcus Aldridge. 
that it's already been decided that he won't be playing with the team and they're going to look to find a different home for him. But that, that, that casts a cloud of doubt over the team. And in terms of until they move him, it's really unsure of the direction of the franchise, whether they're going to be able to get a good player or whether they're going to you know, only be able to acquire a pick or something like that. And then they start to think this season isn't really, we're not really a team who's on the edge of contention or anything like that. So also with LaMarcus being out of the lineup right now, it hurts their depth. You know, they're only one injury away, especially in the front court, from being extremely shorthanded. And with all these games left to play more than anyone else in the league, they're a big contender, I think, to slide down the standings a bit. I think the last thing that I've got here about the Spurs is the debate that's been around for probably three or four years is can Derek White and DeJounte Murray both play well together? Can they thrive in the backcourt and both be able to give you 15-plus points per game? To me, it seems like to be at their best, they both need the ball in their hands. They both need to be the point guard, the lead guy. DeJounte has shined in that throughout the beginning of this season. I think he's averaging close to 15 points, close to seven assists and over six rebounds. So he's really putting up strong lines for them and doing a big job defensively and running the team. He did some clutch shots as well. But before this season, I was pretty much sure that Derek White was a better player. You know, he, he really seemed to understand the game, can really score the ball. He, he's had some clutch moments for them in the playoffs, particularly in that Denver series a couple of series ago where he, sorry, a couple of seasons ago where he, yep. he really carried them and that was their number one option offensively. I think he has more scoring upside than Murray. Murray seems more of a defensive, you know, team organizing kind of point guard. So I'm not sure if you can get the best out of them when they're playing completely together, you know, and it seems like with their rotation, that has to be what they're doing if they're going to contend in the playoffs this year. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of a lot of question marks. I think about how the Spurs are going to go, and I'm not sure that they're going to be over 500 in this in this final stretch of the season. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the Spurs are one team to watch out for come the deadline. Um, people were, were throwing out. I saw stuff online that potentially DeRozan was missing these last few games for like, you know, holding him out purposes. Um, I didn't know about the family situation with that. So that obviously is an ideal um, that he's dealing with that. But that that was my first thing when I saw he was out um, and there was no injury. I, I thought they potentially were stashing him and, and then looking to, looking to deal him. Because, I mean, he's been awesome this season. So I'd actually wonder if they decide to potentially just pull the trigger. Um, curious to know if they can get anything back of – decent value for Aldridge or will they maybe have to buy him out if they can't get anything they like? Mm. Um, they've, they've said all along that we want, you know, both sides of the party to be happy. I Aldridge going to a good situation and the Spurs getting a good return, but sometimes those two things aren't always going to occur. Um, the best how, offer. How did, that, the, go on. how did that work out? How did that work out for them with Kawhi? You know, they, they sent him to a situation he didn't mind being in and the Spurs kind of lost that quite in a big way, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, they talk about how it gives you good faith with agents and, you know, players wanting to come to the team in the future, but uh, whatever. I think the Spurs have a good enough reputation as it is. Um, if they decided to move Aldridge for the best package available, I'm not sure it would really hurt them too much. Uh, I think the Spurs have built up enough equity for people to know that they're a pretty solid organisation to go to. Um, on your Derek White, DeJounte Murray um, point. I, I think it does work well together as long as Murray makes sure he is a proper two guard in the in 
terms of he is just putting up a low shots. He can't uh, effectively be too much of a, a playmaking guard. That should probably be left to DeJounte Murray to do that. And uh, if that's the case, I think that it can actually work pretty well. And they can do a little bit of what Brooklyn do at the moment with Kyrie and Harden. So if anyone tunes into Brooklyn as of late, yes, Durant's been out. But what they've been doing is uh, obviously Harden sits about halfway through the first quarter. Kyrie normally plays out the whole first. Harden comes in just before the end of the first. And it's basically Harden with a lot of the second unit guys for the you know first five or six minutes. So they, they do a bit of that. And that seems to work very smoothly because there's obviously they've built up enough understanding between each other to know how to play when they're both on the floor at the same time and then also go back to what they're accustomed to being the main man running the show setting up their teammates also looking for their own shot there's a really nice balance and cohesion between um, those two at the moment and I think they can replicate that in San Antonio with Murray and uh and Derek White, there's no reason why that can't be the case. And I think they have enough young wings anyway that, um, you know, if those two are the primary playmakers, it can actually work out okay. I think they would want to, in the draft, look to maybe get a big man, whether that be a backup Definitely. or whether that be an, an, a, a proper power forward. Because sometimes when they go extremely small, they have Keldon Johnson playing the, the four, but recently they've been playing a bit of Trey Lyles at the four. I'm not sure how sustainable that is. I'm not sure if he's part of the Spurs future. Um, so that's interesting going forward. But yeah, you definitely need another big man. It can't be, you know, 35 minutes of Jakob Pertl. As good as he is, that's that's too much for a guy like him who is limited in, in what he can do currently. And I mean, how much better can he get? Maybe he can get a little bit better, but I just don't see it. Mm. I think the big question is, does DeRozan get moved? Because that, that would change a lot about what we currently feel about the, the Spurs. What, what do you think about his chance of being moved or if, if you would do it if you were the Spurs? I think the problem is right now that he's their best trade asset for sure. The way he's playing, he's playing at all-star level, he could help a team really thrust themselves into contention. But he's also playing so well that he's the super key cog in their offense. And yeah. we talked about before on the pod how clutch he is and how much they go to him down the stretch more than any other team in the league leans on one player. They mm. lean on him to make big shots. So talk about how Podol's going to have a big role, an even bigger role now. He's not really a scorer. I mean, you look at the depth in their front court, like uh, Rudy Gay, we're seeing a lot of him. He's playing quite well, but you know he's not going to be able to do it at centre. Yeah. And you got Eubanks, who really an unproven player. This young guy, um, Semantic, I think mm -hmm. he um, he's shown some things. But he's very young, so I'm just not sure if this team is built really to make any noise if they are in a play-in or playoffs right now. So I think yeah, it's interesting to see if they do make a move because. DeRozan and possibly Aldridge, or oh, that's a lot of money in contracts, but those that's a bit more of a enticing contract or kind of a package that could get you something in a trade. And that would kind of potentially set them up for looking into the draft and then kind of rebuilding this team in a different way because a lot of reliance on their bench right now and not on their front court. It's, you know, they're shooting from the bench. They're shooting guards. You know, you talk about their young wings, Patty Mills, you know, that's where they're getting their scoring outside of their outside of DeRozan, White and DeJounte. So, yeah, they'll probably have to make a make a big pivot. There's a big decision coming up for them here, whether they, what happens with Aldridge and then whether they have to move DeRozan and kind of move on from, from the team they've got right now or kind of just grind it out for the 50 or something games they've got to play and then hope that they can, you know, make some noise in the play-in or playoffs. Yeah, 
because as good as DeRozan's been, you'd know how much usage he has. The ball's always in his hands whenever he's on the court. So it just doesn't really give too much opportunity for guys like Murray and White and, um, yeah. you know, to shine. It's effectively, they, they just get their touches when they do and they got to make the best out of it. So if you want to move forward in that direction, probably have to see DeRozan go. Maybe Patty Mills gets moved as well. He's He could potentially get back something decent. I feel like a lot of teams could could use his uh, scoring, especially in tight Definitely. moments. His shooting is obviously, we know how unbelievable it is and he's just he seems to always be as well in the in the right place on both sides of the ball you see him taking big charges he doesn't do it often but Mm -hmm. uh, more often than not he's just a winning player and there's no real flaw to his game so he's uh someone who we've seen in the past has shown in the uh big moments especially playoffs finals he's he hasn't disappeared in any of those games so um yeah he, he could be a good pickup for a team my first uh, snake team. I've got the Clippers. I I'm Ooh. pretty I'm pretty worried, Dust, that they're gonna fall apart. I mean, they don't really have much room <laughs> in terms of the assets they have, their cap situation to do anything at the deadline. I, I read and saw there was potential they would be interested in George Hill, but I'm not sure how much he would help them. Um, I can kind of foresee them finishing sixth or seventh in the West. I know they currently sit fourth or fifth, um, but but I think they could actually go on a bit of a slide to to really finish out, um, you know, the rest of this this regular season if they don't get some unbelievable PG and Kawhi performances. Like uh, the the other day, the Pelicans obviously, came, or it was just yesterday, the Pelicans came out of the gate super quick, and I was like, man, this will be interesting to see how the Clippers sort of respond, and they for the most part, just folded. Like there wasn't much resistance. Um, they did lose a Barker during that game. It obviously didn't help. They didn't have Pat Beverly. Uh, I get that that might be important for, you know, energy and just heart and hustle, but uh, just for the most part, like things went south in that game. And again, you didn't see much to really give you any confidence that things would be any different if they have another bubble 2.0 situation in the playoffs this year. Um I think they're thin in the big man department. They really rely heavily on a guy like Serge Barker just due to his versatility of being able to space the floor and offense, do a little bit of rim protection. He's much more capable of staying in front of a guard if he has to switch on to them on defense compared to a guy like Zubach. So when they come up against, and we've spoken about it, Dustin, when they come up against your Jokic's and your AD's, how do they stop that? And they don't really have much of an answer at the moment. And so uh, I'm really curious to see how they go and if they do make any uh, moves at the deadline because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty low on them, to, to say the least. When, when you look at their, their box scores in the games that they lose, like that one yesterday, it's, it's Kawhi getting his, getting his 20, PG getting his 20, and then you really just don't know who else is going to be able to give you 10 points. Like you look down that that roster and how many of those guys do you trust to put up buckets in those games where they're down, where they can't stop teams? You know, I'm pretty sure their third third top scorer for the season, I'm I'm not sure who it is. I think it might be, um, uh, it's not Canard. It's, um, it might be Batum maybe even. Is it? It's not a Barker? Reggie Jackson. As their third best scorer? Yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. You know, like you might check that up now, but when you see a lot of minutes for Batum, he's been a pleasant surprise for them. And 
you know, Morris is a veteran guy who they paid a lot of money to. They paid a lot of money to Canard. So I mm. guess when you look at their roster, it's not very exciting, but, and they haven't made a lot of drastic moves from the team last year, but you still have those question marks about whether those guys can do it. I think because they're a veteran team and Kawhi's been relatively healthy and George is, is, is playing at a high level so far this season, I think they still might be able to hang around in the, um, in the standings. I think mm. they're um, still a tough, a tough game pretty much every night, but, yeah. uh, they are they are an injury away from potentially looking like a very uninteresting kind of team. And I still think even if they were up there in the standings and got that home court in the first or second round, I still have huge question marks about whether they can do it in the playoffs. I just I'm just not sure about what I'm gonna get from a lot of their players. George, it kind of it feels like it all falls on him. You know, is he a superstar number two option who's one of the best number two options in the league? Or is he just is he just a good scorer who can play a role on a team? You know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to tell when you're watching them. I think the key is that they're a veteran team, and I expect them to kind of, you know, keep rolling along and be there. But in terms of being contenders, you know, there's there's no reason why they couldn't slide down the standings if they, you know, if they hit a rough patch or things start to break down, and they look at their roster and, you know, there's not really a lot of wiggle room for them to make many moves. So they're kind of stuck with what they got. So they're going to have to make it happen with, with the roster that they've got right now. Yeah. I mean, I've probably got a harsh perspective on, you know, how they'll, they'll finish out. Maybe it won't be as bad as fifth or sixth, but you look at the, some of the teams that are below them at the moment, you have a Denver, Portland, Dallas. Like I can easily see all three of those teams jumping the Clippers. Like I, I and sure. so if that's the case, I think Utah Phoenix stay one and two, maybe the Lakers drop off as well. But I've just spoken then about three teams that I think could jump the Clippers. So that leaves the Clippers at sixth, seventh, and, and maybe maybe not eighth, but at least sixth or seventh in that territory. It's um, it's it's very tight in the West, and you can slide quickly. So they're not a team who's really shown the ability to go on a fat winning streak. No, as with those other three teams you just talk about, they can get real hot and start rolling. Like when McCollum comes back, I expect them to start rolling. Back Maverick, on Tuesday. Uh, back 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 tomorrow. Yeah. And the Mavericks yep. are on their way to start yep. rolling, you know. So yeah, we'll find out a lot about the Clippers in this in this second half of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm I wonder if they bite the bullet on Lou Williams and look to move him as well. He could be the guy that could get him the best return, if anything. But yeah. it, it just leaves them in a in a weird situation because yes, they can have Lou Williams out there in their crunch time five, but then when they've got to get a stop defensively, teams are just going to be like. Lou Williams, like find yeah. where he is, give give the person the ball, let him attack Lou, let him attack Lou, let him attack Lou. If they so could, if you could merge Pat Beverly and Lou Williams into one player, that would be really really nice. <laughs> they've they've got some decisions to make. Yeah, and I know you're very high on Luke Kennard, but I mean at the moment that doesn't look great for for the Clips because as soon as they made the deal to get him across from Detroit, didn't they re-sign him? Um, yeah, he's got big bag. I think it's four million. So good, good, good yeah. on Luke Kennard. Like he's now set for life, but it's it's an absolute robbery because the Clippers aren't getting bang for buck at all. So, um, mm. yeah, a couple of big deals they handed out, didn't they? If they if they paid Morris, and the funny thing about Morris as well is uh, potentially we've spoken about this before, but maybe off the pod is him and his brother Markeith, They share the same bank account, or they did. I'm not sure if that's yeah. still the case, but I heard that they did once upon a time because they did they play together in Phoenix and play together in Houston yeah. maybe as well. Um, maybe not Houston, but uh, they definitely played together in Phoenix 
And during that time, I know it came out that they share the same bank account. So my question is, is that still the case? Because in the off season, Marcus obviously got the 64 mil and Markeith re-signed for the vet minimum with the Lakers. So, I mean, how does that work? Does Markeith go hectic? Like I'll take like 20% of yours, Marcus, or that's just so confusing to me. Or what if Markeith basically just fucked over his brother, like withdrew all the money into Markeith's personal account and then was like, (laughs) have a good one. Like, how does that work? It's a funny situation. I think we've ever seen that before in the NBA, but I'm fairly certain that they still live together. So he'd still be able to borrow all of his toys. So all of his brother's toys. So I think they're sweet. Yeah. But yeah, I'd rather take, I'd take, I'd take the brother on the vet minimum right now. You know, I'm not convinced. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, For cap wise, Uh, your second team for, or or do you want to go into ladders? Oh no, we'll stick. We'll we'll go, we'll go two snakes. Yeah. Okay, How do you want to do so it? So my, my snake, I'll go again with another snake this okay. time in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think it's the Raptors. The Raptors are 17 and 22 right now, five mm. games below. And they've lost three straight and they're three and seven in their last 10. So yep. major news out of them is that Siakam and Van Vliet, they both actually got COVID. So they've been and out for a as while. Well. They're also... And an OB too. So... Not only have they missed a few games in this losing streak, but we've seen with players who have actually caught COVID, not just been in contact tracing, that it really does fatigue players and they're not going to be game fit when they get back. They're not going to be at an all-star level when they come back. They're going to, you know, have a bit of the wind taken out of them. And with a team that's already five games below 500, it's going to be difficult for them to, you know, get a roll on just as soon as those guys come back. I think... The other big news for this team that's that's going to make it difficult for them to to go on an upward trend in the second half is is the Lowry trade rumors. You know they're starting to ring louder and louder every single day. You know that can really cause a strain on on the team. I think because he's such a big valuable part of their identity, and I think he's very clearly frustrated right now. Lowry playing with the squad that he's playing with, mm. their bench is just is just really weak. You know I just don't trust a lot of their guys. And you look at some of their depth guys, like we're talking a lot of minutes for Bembry, Watanabe, uh, Baines hasn't produced for them this season. Watson? Uh, Terrence Davis. Yeah, Watson, Stanley Johnson. Like that's just ooh. That's an ooh bench for me. That's really, that's that's not making making me happy. I don't think it's making Kyle Lowry happy right now. Obviously, you can't help these, these two of their, their two studs getting, uh, getting COVID. But while Lowry's in trade rumours, you know, this game yesterday, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Lowry was really frustrated, got got really angry at the refs. I did say Basically, it. the only guy in his team who could score was Norman Powell, and he's actually on an absolute tear. Yes. But when you've only got him as your number one option, and Boucher, Young, still kind of figuring out how to score the ball. He's more of a defensive player. Like, they really don't have anything to go to on offense, and it's a clearly frustrating Lowry. He got pissed off, picked up a tech, and then went on with it and then pegged the ball into the stand, basically. Just had had enough of the game. They were down 20. He was absolutely done with it. And you can tell that's just obvious frustration with the team he's playing with. And he just hates losing. You know, he's that kind of player. So I think there's a lot of teams who would love him. And we'll definitely get into talks about Lowry when we do our um, our trade preview, trade deadline yep. preview. But for me, the Raptors, they're not a real contender. And... You know, they're going to struggle to get momentum with getting Siakam and Van Vliet back from 
back from COVID layoff and, you know, it, what's the incentive for them to fight their way into the bottom of the standings in the East, you know? It, that, to me, that just seems that Lowry is looking more and more likely to be moved by the day. And I think the final point that I have on them is that Nurse, Nurse is a really good coach, but when I watch him from the sidelines, he coaches so hard. And, yes. you know, there's a bit of, there's got to be a bit of drain and just fatigue from the whole team emotional standpoint. Like they've been on a big long run from a long run in the bubble, pushing, you know, Boston to seven games after being down to last two seasons have won well over 50 games. They've had done lots of winning, went deep in the playoffs, obviously won the championship. And you can't underestimate, you know, just the fatigue that that's taken on, on some of their studs and just their whole franchise in general. And, you know, you can't go without saying a reason, a good reason for them to potentially slide in the second half is, you know, a lot of players are playing away from home. You know, they have the worst home court advantage in the league. They're playing in Tampa. A lot of the players didn't necessarily move their family to Tampa for one season. So they haven't seen their family in ages. They don't get to go home to Canada at all. And their their home record right now is eight and nine. So they're normally a team that's, that's locking down and winning lots of games at home. They rely on that, that home court advantage and they just don't have it this season. So, I reckon they're definitely a slider. Yeah, no, that's that's a good shout. I mean, you you kind of knew they look. They pushed really hard the other day uh, against uh, the Hawks, and then they lost the heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. You know, when Snell hit the winner, and they were all just yeah. so defeated. If you look at their body language, as soon as Snell hits that buzzer beater, you have Boucher and Powell under the basket, hands on their knees, like they're 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 absolutely gutted um, because they were obviously really struggling under man trying to push and it's no coincidence that then the following two games they get blown out by the hornets and then the next night on a back-to-back on the road they get blown out by chicago so it's all stacked against the raptors at the moment and sometimes you know you've just got to bite the bullet and potentially it's a blessing in disguise you know you kind of accept reality and things for where they are and it, it could be mm-hmm. a good time and a blessing in disguise if they, you know, do trade Larry and could get back a helpful young piece. If they if they traded Larry to us, they could probably get back a young guy like Tyrese Maxey along with the draft pick and, you know, some salary fillers. But the, it, it could be a silver lining here for the Raptors because, as you say, what's their, what's their ceiling anyway? I'm not too sure. We saw them absolutely bust a gut last year in the playoffs to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. really uh, – what was it? They took – the Celtics to seven. Lost is that right? Game seven. It was a five point game. That's you know, right. In, well, I think they ended up losing by two, you know, in game seven. Yeah. So, I, don't, I don't know how much they've got left in the tank. And I think you're right. It's with all the, the veteran pieces that they moved on from in this offseason, you know, those, those quick kind of changes they made haven't worked out, you know, and, and it looks like kind of this, this era of Toronto basketball is kind of over. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, it goes without saying, it would have helped massively if from the start of the season, like Baines was playing, how he was playing with Phoenix. You know, if you got that Aaron Baines, it suddenly makes mm. things a bit more easy. It's a bit more of a reliable source of scoring. But they've been struggling to get any sort of help from the big man spot. They've actually had to play, as you say, a lot of Boucher. And uh, it's it's tough for him because he's not built massively. So he does get a little bit worked underneath when you come up against a a big body five or four. So um, yeah, it feels like, it feels like with, with Toronto things are heading towards a, a trade like a, like a Larry gone, but we'll have to see. I mean, you and I have spoken about how it's for the most part been pretty quiet in the lead up. Um, I mean, we're halfway through March now. It's about 10 days until 
the actual trade deadline itself. And more often than not, the quieter it is in the rumor mill and people speaking, it's more often than not, that's when blockbusters go down. I know I can remember it one morning, uh, I was up early watching, I think it could have been an ESPN show where they were doing a trade deadline countdown show and blah, blah. And I, there was probably oh, half an hour, less than half an hour left. And I went to grab breakfast and I came back to the TV and it was the massive blockbuster Carter Williams was traded from Philly. Uh, whatever happened in that huge four-teamer. Isaiah Thomas went to Boston. Uh, do you remember the, from Phoenix? Do you remember how that that four-teamer went down? It was a massive, it was a massive trade. You should look it up to to go over what exactly went down. But it was it was basically it looked like it was going to be a, a horse shit deadline. Like people want activity, people want moves, and I was like, oh, this is this is BS. I got up at six a.m. for this crap, and then I came back, and it was like, whoa. Like, uh, yeah, it, it changed the landscape. So, um, you know, there's certainly no reason why a, a big uh, a big flurry of moves couldn't go down next week um, because the key thing is, you know, we've spoken about it a lot. It You're still in it if, you know, you're 10th or 9th. There's the play-in now. There's extra incentive for if you're a team hovering to potentially look and go, shit, we, fans are going to be back. Um, there already are piling into a lot of um back into a lot of arenas at the moment it's not just certain ones anymore i know philly had fans come back in for the spurs game the playoffs they'll be back so maybe maybe teams go look there's money available here if we can really push hard and even get a play-in game like that could bring a lot of hype and just to that that one thing in particular so they don't even necessarily need to make the playoffs for some of these teams who haven't you know tasted any kind of games that that mean more than the regular season, you know, they're not that far away. If they can make it to a play and it could be big for their fans, you know, to have a bunch of fans in the stadium, a lot of hype. If you've got a good young player and you're able to put them on that kind of spotlight, it's good for them and it's good for the franchise in general. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep my second snake short because I want to jump into teams that we think will push up and get onto some more positive stuff, but uh, Boston Mm -hmm. don't trust them. I know I'm biased. I don't really like. Where where are they at right now? Are they fifth or sixth? Fourth. In the fifth. East? They're fifth. They're fifth. Um, yeah. So you've spoken about as well in the past, just how close those standings are between in the East in particular, between like ninth and fifth. There's two and a half, three games between you know those six spots, so it can easily slide. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm worried about Boston's depth. Now, this is a team that has to make a move at the deadline. They've got to use that trade exception that you and I have spoken about. Um, they can't waste it. It's it's clear. Money. Yeah, it's clear they really need some additional. Uh, depth because at the moment it's pretty bleak especially in the wing position beyond obviously the two main Tatum and Brown you have to go to semi Ojale or you've got nothing out of Aaron Neesmith this season Marcus Smart coming back is obviously a big help but just from that wing spot um, I know plenty of team uh, plenty of people have thrown out the Harrison Barnes to the Celtics um, that there's been other whispers as well but yeah this is a team that's got to make a move. Um, I haven't really been a believer in this Celtics team right from the start of the season. Had their under 44 and a half as, as one of our predictions when we did uh, the first pod, Darcy, in, in the lead up to the season. Um, I'm actually very surprised they are still top five in the East. Uh, I think the reason why they've probably done that well is, I guess, Jalen Brown taking the huge jump. 
he really gave him a boost and was able to um, help him out. I didn't see that happening. Um, and I feel they are a candidate to end up in that seventh, eighth. How do you feel about the Celtics? I'm not as sure that they'll slide. I think when you look at okay. the teams below them in the standings, I think they're right about where they should be. I think, yeah, the key to them and the reason they win games when they're not necessarily playing very well is that Tatum and Brown are superstar studs. You know, like they, they can win games by themselves. And a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference have a better one-two punch than that. So I feel like for the standings, they'll, they'll still be around there. And, and Brad Stevens is a very good coach. You know, he, he manages games really well and, I think their record will, will will be solid. I'm not so sure that they'll slide down the standings, but I think you're right to be a bit a, a bit scared about them because yeah. I I really don't see any momentum for them to push towards championship contention unless they're able to pull something off at the deadline. And it, it's tough, you know. Everyone in the league knows that they need to make that kind of move, so they're not going to have any kind of leverage in negotiations to kind of make a steal in in it's a true. trade unless they can find a player who's way way undervalued who's is being pushed to the bench. I think the key to the Celtics for me is Time Lord. Every time I see him out there doing good things, get him on the court more. I feel like he is he could be one of their very best players if they if they give him a little bit more of a go. But it, you know, we, we've seen it time and again with Stevens. You know, he did the same a similar thing with uh with Cantor last year. You know, kind of refused to play him. Even though I thought he was good, and look at him right now, he's absolutely thriving for Portland. So I don't know. Uh, I think, yeah, you're right. They have to make a move. And it's interesting that things could go downhill if if they don't make a move. If they're not able to pull something off with this trade exception, things could go wrong. Yeah, I think that's where I come back to. So again, with the Clippers and my view on that, maybe it's a little bit harsh to, to think both those teams will end up sixth or seventh in their respective conference. But I, I can just foresee things falling apart. And maybe that doesn't happen in the regular season, but it does in the playoffs. I think, yeah, there's a, there's mm. potentially a lot to be worried about with both those teams. Um, all right, the positive stuff, the jumpers, those who will climb the yep. ladder dust. Um, your, yep. your first team for, the, for that. Okay. All right. In the East, I've got the Hawks, Atlanta Hawks. Okay. I think um, underperformed in the first half of the season, no doubt. They're up yeah. to 19 and 20. They've won, they've won five in a row, so they're hot. Um, seven and three in their last 10. I think when you look at uh, their makeup of their team and what could go well for them in the second half, I think Trey Young is yet to really go off for a big kind of run of, of scoring. He, um, his scoring is actually way, way down, but they're still winning games at the moment, and I think at any time, you know, he could start to get a roll on offensively. I think the um, the coaching change has given them at least some stability for the rest of the season. There's no more, you know, doubt about what's going to happen. McMillan's going to take them hopefully into the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And he's starting to settle on their rotation. In particular, I love seeing some more of Gallinari out in the court. I talked about this in the preseason, how I thought he was definitely in their best lineup. You know, yeah. like he's a player. You know, he might he, he has his limitations like a lot of guys do, but offensively smart. He can score, he can shoot threes, he's good at the foul line, good at drawing fouls. He's a good player. I've seen a lot more of Rondo since um McMillan took over. You yes. know, as soon as as soon as Trey Young's off, Rondo should be on the whole time because he's the only other organizer they've got on this roster. Yeah. Um good to see Bogdanovich back. He's definitely helping their rotation. If he can continue to score the ball, that's big. And it means less reddish. And to be honest, I think that's a good thing for them. I think he's not ready for it. He's not ready to be a contributor on a on a playoff team. So I want to continue to see less from him. Also, a big key is Capella. You know, he's playing amazing. You know, he's playing great. He's, he's really, the numbers he puts up are outstanding. He's probably playing the best rim protection center role of any guy in the league, I reckon, right now. He's really 
being a star in his role. And then two big things that could push them up and really allow them to, you know, solidify a spot in the playoffs over the second half of the season is a John Collins, you know, he's playing for a huge contract. You know, he's going to prove the GM wrong that, that they didn't offer him enough money, potentially auditioning for other teams as well to yeah. go and give him that bag. You know, he's got a lot to prove and he's, you know, he's, he's playing at a good level and he could take it a little bit even further, I reckon. And the, hopefully the soon soon return of DeAndre Hunter, who's having a great season and um, probably a bit of heartbreak for me in fantasy having to drop him due to that injury because I loved what he was doing and... Yeah. You know, if he's in that rotation, this team looks really good, you know. They're, if he's healthy, then the whole team now all of a sudden they've got their rotation back and they're, they're dangerous. Yeah, I think the thing I really liked when um, since Nick since Nate McMillan took over, they're just starting to play a bit better defense, whether it's even just giving more effort. They Yes, they, have, they might not have guys that, you know, it's their strength, but a lot of times defense is, you know, how much of it is actually just effort and being in the right place as opposed to, you know, actually having the gift and the natural talent. I mean, it's, it is all effort. Um, you can't convince me that it isn't. So they held uh, Sacramento Kings to 105 the other day. Sacramento were a very explosive offense. Um, I would have almost sworn, I uh, didn't bet that game, but I've almost would have sworn that game would have gone overs for total points, but I don't think it did because they held Sacramento to 105. And that's that's been kind of the consistent theme. They haven't really been amazing but they've been solid i mean the, the only slip up in that was probably they gave up 118 to the raptors um but they found a way to come back and, and win that like it was looking like toronto could steal that game um undermanned as, as we just spoke about and uh you know credit to atlanta for for pushing back and and really fighting and staying and it's not the first time they've done it with mcmillan we we spoke about before the all-star break they stole that one in orlando when they were you know down mm-hmm. 17 so it's really good science to see that they're buying in in terms of let's at least give good effort defensively and let's not throw in the towel when things start to go south let's work with each other let's try and just chip away at leads and um you know, really make sure we can uh, be competitive in these games to really push forward. So th- there is there is a ton to like. And I actually don't know if they would decide to pull the trigger on a John Collins trade. If someone gives them a package they can't refuse that could, you know, really help them, um, I think they'd probably be inclined to do it because you have an immediate guy that you can push into that four spot in Gallo to potentially replace what Collins was giving you. Um so that that's something think, to keep note of as well. For sure, I think um, what, what you touched on there about you know they have a losing mentality, they have some bad habits about losing games and and giving it away, you know, and not playing a lot of hard defense. You know, it's yeah. been lots of fun to watch them rack up big numbers, watch Trey Young, you know, score a lot of points and then get in the hundred and twenties, but then still lose the game. You know that mcmillan it seems like he's letting them know that to win games we have to grind and we have to defend and we have to play ugly sometimes but that's that's how you win games in the nba you can't just score as many as you want and forget about defense yeah definitely um yeah so that's that is a good shout i do think atlanta will jump as well um my first uh we spoke about him a lot when we were first you know really um doing these pods dust but the paces so they had a bit of a drop off mm. and they now sit at ninth and they actually had a much better start to the season, but they've they, they really struggled, um, you know, uh, in the lead up to the All Star break and sort of the first couple of games out of it. Uh, post trade, hey, 
post-trade yeah exactly um so i'm confident that they'll finish top six in the east for one reason and that's karis levert coming back for them um he completely changes the dynamic for that team suddenly it gives them a go-to scorer and uh alleviates just a ton of pressure from sabonis and brogdon to just create in that two-man game we know sabonis can sometimes get a little bit caught up in uh, if teams sort of playing off him and giving him the jumper, he mm. he kind of gets tested in that area because it's not a strength of his. And then he's because re- he's really an old school bully ball player that loves to just go to his left and you know power through um, you know contact to be able to finish at the rim and get to the line a ton. But sometimes that that doesn't always work, and you need a guy on the perimeter that can you know as good as Brogdon is. Brogdon is not a uh, for the most part, a one-on-one type, cross you up, step back, all of this different stuff. I think Brogdon works within set parameters. So if it's cleared out, if it's cleared out for the most part in an end of game situation, Brogdon's probably going to try and get to the rim. He's probably going to try and get a floater off, draw a foul. But if you gave the ball to Levert, we've seen how crafty he is. He's got good athleticism. He can really hit some tough shots. He can finish around the rim. So Gives him a huge option. Uh, they'd obviously love to have a guy like TJ Warren in the fold as well. So that's looking mm-hmm. further down the line, you know, a lineup of Brogdon, Levert, TJ Warren. And then it gets Ooh. iffy because I'm curious to see what they do with Sabonis and, and Miles Turner because that feels like both of those guys should be a five, yet they're both on the floor at the same time. So I'd be curious to know if they move Sabonis. I think they love a lot more than Miles Turner to the five and, and try and find a, a four. But yeah, there's there is a lot of positives um, as well. It doesn't it, having Levert back means they don't have to play TJ McConnell thirty plus minutes a game. He can stay. No, eff- no. He can he can stay Keep effective. Nah, because because at, at certain points he's obviously not a, a very big guy, um, so he does get knocked around. And the worst thing you'd you'd want is for him to get injured because he obviously gives such a, a boost off the bench. Um, so you just got to be careful with his output. Uh, because when he's on the floor, he's playing at a mar- you know, uh, 100 miles an hour. He's giving so much effort. He's diving on the floor. He's picking up full court. So you do have to kind of be conservative with TJ and his minutes. You want to make sure he's effective. Um, so, yeah, maybe scale back his minutes a little bit, get him that rest, help build him up for, you know, the play-in, or I don't even think they'll need to do the play-in because I think they'll be there for the playoffs anyway. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah. there is a lot to like. And I think the main thing that I was really impressed with when they were able to win by double digits in Phoenix was um, the energy of the team. Like that's the beyond mm. performance and, you know, Sabonis triple double and people playing really well. I think Karis gave him a real boost of, of energy. Yeah. It was it, it, from everything you hear, Karis is, you know, a really outgoing guy, you know, everyone loves him in the locker room um so yeah. i think he'll a be a story yeah definitely a, a, a good, good story. a good story because he came into the league with a torn acl already and he had to fight his way um really Broken earn forward. his minutes yeah. with the nets and start to really build up a reputation and you could see how well he did with carrying those nets teams in the past um basically him and jared allen um because dimwitty dimwitty would be in and out of the lineup you you see most recently in the bubble how well he did um if uh, they lost to Toronto in the first round, but at least he was still, you know, the main man doing it all for them. So 
I think the best thing is the chemistry of this Pacers team could really start to take off and flourish. And I think performance comes with that when you're in an environment that you enjoy, you're spending a lot of time because this second half of this, this, the regular season, it's obviously going to be condensed. There's going to be a lot of games pushed in. So you need to really enjoy the people you're being around. Otherwise it's just going to capitulate. Yeah. I.e. A, a Cleveland, like they've fallen off the cliff recently. So you want to avoid that. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot to like with India. I'm, I'm, Big fan, big fan, Doss. How do yeah. you feel about him? Um, I'm on board for sure. I think 17 and 20, you know, that's not reflective of how good this team is. You know, they're three of seven in their last 10. You know, they've dealt, they've dealt with a bit of fatigue, no doubt. You know, Sabonis and Turner look like they're, they're running out of gas a little bit. The yeah. all-star break will, will probably help that. Um, well, that's a bit of a problem, I think, with their lineup is they don't have any backup forwards, no depth. You know, like uh, I think they had a guy like Thad Young not too long ago. Really, really solid they bench did. player. You see how good he's playing. So I'd be interested to see because I think they could make a bit of a move as well, even though they've already made a splash with the Levert trade. I Interesting. Think you, talked about, you talked about their outside shooting and how good it looked against Phoenix and how they look like they all play well together, which I think they do. And they do have a good kind of camaraderie going on. But I think there's a couple of guys who are, who are good value players for different teams. Two guys in particular, I think McDermott is playing at a probably a career high kind of game for him all over the season is averaging career high numbers. Justin Holiday has been a really nice kind of swingman piece for them as well. With the added depth that they've got with Levert, there's less minutes for those two guys. And when you bring back TJ Warren, you spoke about him. He's a big X factor. I reckon he's a bit of a sleeping giant for this team. Last season, he averaged 19 points a game on 56% shooting. And we saw how Dom, he was almost MVP of the bubble Warren. So sucks that he had that injury at the beginning of the year. But if he comes back, you know, he's their next guy. We talked about how lethal that lineup could be with Brogdon, with Levert. Um, we could have Warren in there as well. You know, this team could be could be really really solid. I think they could potentially make a move with McDermott or Holiday and try to get one more big guy that could help them, a guy off the bench. You know, a guy who could give them a bit of depth, give them a chance to play Sabonis at the center a bit more, and to you know use all kind of not rely as much on Turner. You know, I, I think they've already explored trade options for Turner last season. I think they're, they're happy to keep him now and the way that he's protecting the rim, you know, best in the league, almost three and a half blocks a game. Like, I think they've got to keep him and, and maintain that for, the, for their defense. But if they could use those kind of players who are playing well off the bench to potentially get another, a bit of size and a bit of, a bit of strength at the backup forward position, I think that'd be a key for them really making some noise in the playoffs. Interesting what you said about, you know, about how they love playing together and how they're playing with a nice flow, even though they've struggled a little bit in the last few games. They still look like a happy team, a team that could go up in the standings. I think it's a bit of a reflection on the coach. I, I really like their coach, Nate Bjorgen. I think he knows what he's doing and yeah. their offense, it does flow really well. I think they're, uh, yeah, they're definitely a sleeper team to jump up the standings. 17 and 20, you know, they're going to be better than that for sure. I reckon, you know, who's ahead of them? The Knicks are ahead of them. Charlotte are ahead of them. I'd be very surprised if Indiana didn't pop up ahead of those two teams at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll give out my second team and then we'll go to yours and then we'll jump to rookie update. And we might give out one rookie that we like in, instead of two because um, we've, cool. we've spoken about these um, snakes and ladders for the majority of it. So, okay. Um, Golden State, I've gone with. I think it's, it's go time for them now. I think they sit ninth. Um, the other day potentially was a bit of uh, a wake-up call for them. They got smacked by the Clippers. 
But then they came back and responded really well, beating Utah by double digits. They play the Lakers uh, today, so we'll see how they can uh, back up the really impressive performance against the Jazz. Uh, they're yeah. also a team to keep an eye out for, Dust uh, at, at the deadline. I'm not sure if they if they can see any options to upgrade, whether they use the Oubre or Wiggins to significantly uh, upgrade along with a pick. I mean, the, the the thing is, could Wiseman take off? I, I don't know, to finish the season and, and really give them a spark. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing there is is uh, Draymond and Steph just really need to ensure that they're on the, on the same page and continue carrying. Um, Draymond was destructive against, against Utah. He was um, yeah, doing all the Draymond things that you'd see. He has such a... Uh, people need to talk about him more as a passer and a playmaker because I think he gets mm. labeled as potentially this energy guy and, you know, this guy that's always so reliable defensively and, you, you know, but his passing, we need to start putting him in a category of whether it be a Ben Simmons or James Harden or DeRozan in Jokic. terms of just playmaking, Jokic, like Draymond's got to at least be in the conversation. He may not be the best of the bunch, but he's, he's got to be there. I think he gets slept on, mm-hmm. slept on way too much in that category. But I think the main thing is after that Clippers game, you know, you saw the, the highlight of Steph really trying to fire up the bench. Like, you know, the, the shots that you saw, like, come on, like, fuck, like, let's not mm-hmm. like, you don't see that too often from him. He's normally, a, you know, cool as a cucumber and doesn't really get too mm-hmm. emotional and he's pretty level-headed and sort of is you'll, what you see out of him is normally what you get. And uh, yeah. So to see that from him, it's a good, good sign. We want to see the fire in the belly. We want to see this team push yeah. for more. So let's let's see how they go. But yeah, I think Golden State should push higher than ninth. I think um, that that's championship DNA that you're talking about there. You know, with with yeah. Curry and Draymond, they hate to lose. You know, and they think they should be better than they are right now. And yeah, I think Kerr that extends from Kerr as well. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna push against you on that. I think I'd love to see them going up because I think they're a great team, and I, I love mm. watching those two players in particular. I just don't think they have the depth this season. And I don't think Wiseman, you mentioned that. I don't think he's not ready. He's not ready okay. to, to to be a big he's not ready to, to be a big contributor on a championship team. I think a guy like um Lamello and Anthony Edwards are a little bit more, you know, confident in their own game and advanced to come out and score a lot of points. I think Wiseman will be a great fit for them. And if Clay Thompson was there this season, then this team would be a serious threat, I think, even to win the championship. But I think it's going to have to be next year for them. Without Clay, they just don't have enough scoring. There's too much reliance on Curry. to. When they go up against the really, really good teams, if Curry doesn't absolutely ball, then they just don't have enough. And I, I don't think they'll necessarily slide. I think they'll definitely be there at the play-in, potentially grab that eighth spot in the um, in the standings. But I do not see them pushing up into the, you know, into the high eight, nine games above 500. I, I just don't think they have enough. Okay, great. Debate's good. Love it. Can't always be on the mm. same side, Dust. So we'll have to keep a track but, of how Golden State goes. But the team that's the team that's one game above them is the Mighty Mavericks. They're twenty and seventeen. Ah, uh, here We're we go. go streaking. We're coming up the standings. That's for sure. Seven and three in our last ten. We've got a couple of games to make up after losing some from COVID. We talked about you touched on KP briefly earlier. He's looking healthy. He's looking good. His season numbers. 20 points a game, eight rebounds, one and a half blocks. He's up to 48% shooting, 37% from deep, and 83 at the line. 
you know, we, he's kind of testing the waters of those numbers he was starting to put up in the bubble. Luca is starting to shoot the ball really, really well. You know, 28, 8, and 9 is now his season numbers. 47% from the field. Very, very encouraging. His, his threes are still at 35, 75 of the lines, a slight improvement. He's almost dropped, almost dropped a whole turnover per game since the opening month of the season, which is encouraging. And now when when I talked about the beginning of the season and how we need to find, you know, that that third person, or we need to do it by committee, we need to get multiple guys in double figures. Hardaway Jr. is up to 16 points per game for the season. Whenever we need a big game out of him, it seems like he's able to come up with it 37% from three, making almost three a game. We've had a bit of a Jay Rich revival in the last two weeks as well. He's playing his best ball in, it seems like, two or three years. He's up to 14 points per game for the season. He's making almost two a game. And his field goal percentage is up to 44%. So he's a streaky guy, but I think we're a streaky team. You know, if he starts to make shots, I think you can tell the positive influence that has on the whole team, the confidence that it gives everyone else to ball out. And then the guy who's been a rock for us all season is Jalen Brunson. He's also averaging 13 points a game. 53% 53% from the field, 40 from three, and 82 at the line. He's been an absolute rock. And in the clutch, he's a guy that we really turn to, and he's he's producing. I think the front court that we settled on that we kind of expected at the beginning of the season to be, we're starting to see that get a few more reps up. And that's with Finney Smith, with Kleber, and with KP. Now, I think they're playing well together as starters, and that's a pretty formidable front court, I think. A lot of sh- if Finney Smith's hitting his threes along with Kleber and KP, that's a pretty pretty explosive offensive, you know, shooting front court. And then, yeah, I think the key for the Mavericks is that we can get hot. So defense is always, always the key for us with that change we made in the off season. And if the defense can stand up, then I think the Mavericks can really push, you know, six, five, four seed maybe if we, if we can really get wrong. Yeah, no rebuttals from my end. I do think you'll be one of the three teams you mentioned along with, um, you know, Portland and Denver to push up above the Clippers. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good shout. I know it's obviously you're coming from a bias perspective, but all the points you're making are valid. So there's no reason why you can't. Because you guys, what you you are eighth? Did you say you're one ahead of Golden State? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, there's no reason why you shouldn't push up and finish fifth. Yeah, I, I can't see. Um, yeah, so reason healthy. why that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, beauty. So. We'll do a quick rookie update before wrapping things up. Um, Rooks. So I'll take the lead on this one. Um, and it's come from watching the game in particular yesterday, but Patrick Williams from the Bulls. So Ooh, good one. he's had a very underrated season. He's been slept on. So he's playing about 28 minutes a game. He's starting at the three for the Bulls. He's averaging 10 points, five rebounds, nearly he is averaging a steal, but he's just under a block. And that's uh, as well on 47% from the field and 39% from three. So he came Mm. into the season uh, as the youngest drafted player. Um, So that's Mm. potentially, you know, he was a late riser on draft boards and he sort of built up a lot of hype and suddenly pushed his way into the top five. But in particular yesterday against Toronto, like, yes, they were on demand and they didn't have their normal guys, but I saw Patrick Williams in particular make about six or seven terrific cuts where Thad Young found him. Wendell Carter found him a few times. Uh, Levine found him. Like it was unbelievable just how perfectly timed the cuts were. And as soon as he got into the spot, it almost felt like every single time that, uh, you know, a guy made a dribble drive that Pat Williams was just in the right spot to finish. He had about six or seven very easy dunks off the back of just mm. some really smart cuts. Um, 
And the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is he's kind of learning on the job defensively because he's put up against the best offensive wing every night. That's who, that's who, if you watch Bulls games, it, you see Kawhi playing, Pat Williams is thrown on Kawhi. You, he's, you know, you see LeBron playing, taken, Pat Williams is on LeBron. He's already taken that job as the number one stopper on that team. It's impressive. Yeah. So I think he's been overshadowed potentially maybe by the play of Levine and the fact that, you know, Levine's been an all-star this year and all that, but people shouldn't, yeah, uh, overlook the, the Pat Williams factor. I think he's he's been awesome. And the, the best thing with him is he's, I think he might've uh, turned 19. So he's 18 in the draft, but I think he's turned 19 now, but still so fresh, so young. This is a great opportunity for him. He's in the right culture. Um, the team's starting to adjust and, and sort of, uh, figure out a few things on a nightly basis. They're starting to understand the Billy Donovan style of play and that, you know, he's not going to put up with any um, crap. He he really wants the team to start playing some solid ball and not be a joke mm-hmm. that potentially they were with Egghead. Um, I can't even think of his name. Boylan. That's it, Boylan. So, Boylan. Um, yeah, so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot to like with Pat Williams and I'm, I'm certainly a big fan. And I Definitely. don't think he's uh, getting spoken about enough. I, I agree. I like watching his game. I think his size and athleticism, it's quite tantalizing, you know, mm. some of the stuff he does. You know, he uh, he obviously can guard, you know, he can guard and he can obviously rebound well already. So yep. you look at his frame, yeah, it's, it's really quite special the way he moves and he's quite a smooth character. I think his, when you look at some of the, when he knocks down threes, his stroke looks good, you know, he looks like he can become a good shooter. If he's able, able to become a knockdown shooter, guy can defend and rebound it's kind of perfect for what you're looking for today in the nba you know for for a wing guy and yeah like you said he's just turned 19 he's so young so to see these good signs from him already and he's clearly carved out an important part in their rotation and and what could be a team that could be you know potentially making into that top eight seed for the playoffs so i agree i think it's a good fit next to levine as well you're right i think athletic you know plays a lot of defense and can rebound. So I really like what I've seen for him this year. I think he, he could be a special talent. I, w- I wasn't sure what everyone was raving about necessarily in the draft, but I can see now it is quite tantalizing what his upside could be. Yeah, definitely. There was so much talk of teams trying to trade up to be able to get Pat Williams as well. Like there was talks that the Spurs were trying to trade up from the 11 spot. And oh, it was mm. there was so many, so many teams that were desperately trying to get in that top five, apparently to try and nab um nab that guy pat williams so yeah he's been super impressive uh who is your guy that that you've potentially liked or or uh have been a bit disappointed by for your rookie update okay so i went with someone that that i quite liked i think okay. um this guy he hasn't been he hasn't been wow but he, but he's been solid and i've been impressed when i watch him it's um desmond bain from yep. from the grizzlies a guy who uh for a lot a lot of part of the season was leading the league in three point percentage if you can believe that He's up, he's up to 10 points a game, three rebounds, one and a half assists. He, um, in, in this month, he's averaging almost 11. So what I saw from him recently was quite interesting. He got kind of thrust into the starting lineup because of uh, some injuries. I think it was Kyle Anderson who was out. And the, this guy, Desmond Bain, he can really shoot the ball. You know, he, he's a guy who takes smart shots. He takes shots when he's open in rhythm. And he, besides the fact that he's knocking down open threes, when guys run out at him, he's shot faking, one dribble, and pulling up that mid-range shot and knocking it down just as easy. So to me, that kind of shows me that he is just—he's not just a guy who goes in the gym and shoots a million threes. He's a shooter who can who can really score. 
And I think once he gets more acclimated to the game, he could be a guy who could, could score in, in bunches. I like his build. You know, he's a stocky, strong player. He's not getting pushed around. He doesn't look like a boy against against men out there. He looks tough. And he just kind of um, he's getting some good minutes in Memphis over some pretty solid players. You know, it's it, he's kind of playing over some guys who you wouldn't expect him to be able to get minutes in front of. I think it's interesting that they're a really frisky team, Memphis. And, you know, I think he could get some good playoff experience this season. I'd be very interested to see under the pressure if he could continue to be a good shooter and a good scorer for these guys. He doesn't look scared at the moment. And I like what I've seen from him out of his last few starts. I think Desmond Bain's not a bad player. Thoughts on when Triple J comes back? So you go to a starting if, lineup. You go to a starting lineup of Jar, Bain, Anderson, Triple J, and JV. So then, then your yeah. man Dylan Brooks can go to the bench and be a six-man chucker that he was destined to be. I think if if Brooks was out of the lineup, then I wouldn't feel that bad about bringing Bain into the starting lineup. You know, I wouldn't feel like that's too big of a downgrade. You you maintain some of that toughness and strength. Um, yeah, I would I would feel good about it. It's really puzzling what's going on with Jerry Jackson Jr. There hasn't been a lot of noise about it, but you know he's he's starting to he's almost missed the whole season. You know, like let's let's get him in there. You know, well, like it's, how long is it going to take? It's meniscus. So I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, they would be smart to play it cautious. I mean, if you're looking at the long term, sure. Jar and JJ are the future of the team. So um, don't, be, don't be dumb here and rush him back for, you know, really trying to uh, have a second good year. Cause obviously last year they really took off and surprised a lot of people. But yeah, uh, it, it is a bit confusing. I think a lot of the communication from Memphis' side was that he would kind of be back from now. Uh, back by now, sorry, leading up to this. But yeah, um, yeah, potentially been some complications maybe with the rehab or getting his conditioning right. And we don't know behind the scenes if if he had any illness or COVID issues himself that, that was kept under wraps. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, De- Desmond Bain is a good shout overall though. So we'll um, see how Memphis go. It's hard to see Memphis not at least being in the play-in, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think they will be making some noise. Yeah, and, and there's a chance for him to, you know, play some important minutes in, in down the stretch here. Well, one more guy I just wanted to to keep an eye on on yeah. in the rookies is uh, Precious Precious Achua out of Miami. Okay. I think he's averaging six points and four boards. He's a high octane guy. You know, he's being mentored by Bam and Jimmy, and I think I think he could have a big role for Miami. You know, as a backup in the playoffs. You know, we've seen what happened to Myers Leonard. Seems like it's unlikely that he'll be playing a role with Miami in in the rest yeah. of yes. this season. <laughs> Yes. Seem to have lost faith, and we're seeing a lot of um, a hell of a lot of Kelly Olenek right now. And I'm just not sure how long he can survive out there on the floor in the playoffs uh, defensively. I'm not sure how long you can trust him. We talked about it multiple times. Our crowd is a big loss for them, you know, mm. athletically and defensively. So I think Achua can be that kind of guy. It's going to be interesting to have a look at Achua now with Bam missing a couple of games. You know, what can he provide in this small kind of sample? Can he really? sure had a little bit of a role as a backup power forward for them. So uh, pressure's true. We're definitely a guy to watch over the next week or two. Yeah, cool. Great way to uh, wrap that up. Um, potentially do another one of those maybe at the end of the season or yeah, we, we might we might uh, come back to that. So we'll, we'll see how that one I goes. I think the, the rookie of the year debate is heating up. The Mellow's playing great, but uh, yeah, Anthony Edwards is starting to go on a bit of a tear. He is. He's coming. Ant is coming. You're right. Since since you gave that what the fuck are the Timberwolves doing speech, <laughs> this guy should not be sitting on the bench. He's really turned it Getting around. That DC so, bump. 
that he DC is. Bump. He's getting that DC bump for sure. So it's been great to see. Is Ant Edwards, other than Zion, probably the best in-game dunker at the moment, do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I think so. Who threw down that big one yesterday? Jackson Hayes threw down yes. that big one. Yes. He's nasty if he can get a few more dunks. But yeah, did I think Ant, he's you got see... so many dunks already. Yeah, Ant racks him up. Even on the back-to-back against the T-Wolves, against, sorry, the T-Wolves, against Portland, in both Portland. nights, he had he had a couple of really nice throwdowns. I remember there was a business decision on the first night. You saw Carmelo come across and Carmelo kind of like pulled out because Ant was just going to like throw that shit down. So smart by Melo. Um to do that for sure. On Jackson Hayes, did you see his unbelievable throwdown in summer league a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was that was, that was nasty. Fu- that was fucking absurd. Um, so little <laughs> little little tidbit for that. I was actually at that game. I was at the Vegas summer league. No way. Um, yeah, I was there for that, and that was fucking ridiculous. Um, low key, the crowd was actually pretty nice. Like, I don't know what it was in the end. Maybe yeah. five. 5k or quite a few Zion. yeah well i'm not actually sure zion was in the game for that dunk in particular but yeah he he literally like shocked everyone like there was an earthquake in vegas that weekend zion's first game there was an earthquake um Mm -hmm. it wasn't caused by zion obviously but um (laughs) there was actually an earthquake for that for that first game but uh yeah no that was an unbelievable throwdown we miss the atmosphere and the fans big time. Can't wait to get some more in there in the arena. It'll be, you know, chance to go to a game in maybe a year or two's time. Can't wait for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so we'll wrap things up with locks of the day. So I've dropped under 500. I think I'm 37 and 39 heading into today. Gone on a bit of a bad yeah. post-All-Star break run. You're in a similar Slug. boat, Dust. I think you're 12 games back from 500. So... You know, again, it won't take much to get on a bit of a streak and to cover that off. Um, But for tomorrow in particular, I've settled on Miami minus 10. Um, So they're at home to the Cavs. The Cavs are just an absolute shit show. They're they're a real mess at the moment. The other game against the Pelicans where they lost by 30, they started Sexton, Okoro, Nance, Love, and Jared Allen. So, wow. It wasn't wasn't uh, that impressive. Uh, I'm not sure... Garland means that much to the team, but you could definitely see they were missing him in that matchup in particular. And uh, mm-hmm. I think the Cavs in particular are a team that could end up with a top three pick given how just bad they've been and where they're projecting and where they're trending. But I think three guys that could really go off, Hero, Robinson, none, you know, against these mm-hmm. uh, lesser teams. Um, Butler will probably take a back seat. Butler could be in contention for another triple-double, but really take it easy give the scoring to, you know, those other three guys I mentioned, maybe a Linick gets in it as well. We see some precious him get a lot of minutes if it's a blowout, but either way, I can't see Cleveland keeping it close. So um, that's where I'm probably settling on with my lock minus 10 Miami at home. Uh, yeah. I can see Miami probably winning by 15, 20. I think great minds think alike. Cause that was, that was my lock as well. I had Miami minus 10 as well. You said was it was it? 90. That's 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 good odds, I reckon. All right, I well, that's, I've got that's, no tr- it's not the worst thing. Well, I, don't, I don't mind if I've we... got a backup. Okay, you got a backup? I've got okay. a backup as well. Okay. But what I had on that was, yeah, i got no trust in Cleveland on the road. You know, Miami, just their defense is too tough. And Cleveland, they're really struggling to score offensively right now. We've had a slump from Sexton and Garland scoring the ball. You know, they're starting to drop. We're seeing way too much of JaVale McGee and Okoro oh, yeah. and 
Windler and Wade were just seeing all these guys who dead set can't play. And then interesting that Kevin Love came back last game. So one thing that obvious was obvious in that first instance was that Allen is not comfortable playing next to Love right now. They, they haven't got any kind of chemistry. They haven't probably haven't even had a practice, no more than a conversation or two. So it's going to take a while. For that <laughs> Have to they happen, even met? You know, literally. So I think, yeah, Miami minus 10. I think that's a good shout at $1.90. My backup was my boy Zach Levine. I think he's always good for the um, for the player performance, but player performance isn't available for this game. It's Oklahoma City at Chicago, so what I'm going to go with is Chicago Bulls one to ten. So I think Oklahoma will hang around; it won't be a blowout. One to ten for the Bulls. That's at two dollars seventy-four. So that's quite big odds. I think that if Oklahoma can stick around, then um, then yeah, that's good value. Yep, great pick, great call. You never know with the Bulls as well. One game they're up, next game they're down. So, yeah, I, I think yeah, they, they don't tend play. to blow out too many teams. I think one to ten is pretty safe. No, nah. well, I mean, if a few things went right for uh, Toronto as well yesterday, they it, they they would have kept it really close. But yeah, some things went against him. Markinen went Larry, off a little bit. Larry lost a call. Glay, as you say, Larry <laughs> lost his head. So, um, no, that's good. Uh, you wanted to you mentioned before the start of the pod to end things on oh, yeah. Sacramento Kings. Now, bit of news Anyone? I saw during the pod, Das, um, from this game that Sacramento played today against Charlotte, Marvin Bagley fractured his wrist. Oh, no. It just gets worse. So he cannot, like, stay healthy, I swear. Um, can't catch a break. Can't catch a break. But, no, basically the floor is yours because I know you have you have thoughts on, on the Kings situation. That that might thrust Halliburton into the permanent starting lineup. I, I think so. Go a, little bit, so. go a little bit smaller. I saw that um, I watched quite a bit of this game. It just finished through just before on Tuesday, but uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Rashawn Holmes was having a really good game, but he was struggling a bit. Fox was doing his thing. Um, good, some good men from Bielitsa. I need to see more of those. I'd like to see him potentially move to a 10 like the Mavericks as well. But to touch on our cult, the coaching frustration with, with Walton, they're, they're winning the game by 13 in the third quarter. There's a run starts to get made, pretty much sparked by Lamelo, and then towards the end of the third quarter, I think it's about 30 seconds to go. Monk makes a big drive on Fox, kind of shoulders him out of the way, just makes a nice, strong, aggressive move, dunks the ball on top of him. Walton basically, I don't think Fox is even complaining about the call. Walton just kind of storms on the court, loses his call, yells at the ref. Like when the play's already gone up the other end, he's still barking at the ref. Picks up an, an important tee change the momentum, let let Charlotte get right back into the game before the end of the third quarter. And then it was neck and neck all the way to the fourth. And one specific play with 55 seconds to go, Sacramento called timeout. They're down by three. They need a bucket, but they don't need a quick shot. They don't need a three necessarily. They just need to find a good shot. I'm not sure what kind of play they run, but they get the ball to Buddy Heald on the wing. Within the first three seconds of getting the ball inbounds, he just jacked up a step back, contested three, almost like, he completely sacked whatever Luke, Luke Walton was trying to run. He just decided, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to get my shot off. This is my chance to pull one out. You know, and I know Buddy is a guy who can make those kind of Ooh. shots and, and he's a, he's a big-time shooter. But it just felt like there was zero trust and zero communication between what they were running in the clutch sets and what Luke Walton was telling them in the timeout because, it yeah, it was completely unclear what happened. A brick shot from Buddy Heald and then they had to foul and they just lost the game from there. So... Well, actually, they didn't even have to foul. It was about 50 seconds to go, and they were down three, and they fouled instantly. So that 
also felt like a breakdown in communication. I just don't think that there's trust and there's no organization between what's happening in the coaching staff and with the players in Sacramento. And I think it's at a dire situation and they need to do something quick. And losing Bagley definitely doesn't help. Right. So down three, Buddy Hill takes a contested shot, 50 seconds left. He, he takes it within Instant three foul. seconds of getting the ball and then they instantly foul. Oh yeah, my gosh. What a, what a travesty. So I'd be curious to know Walton if Walton was after there. that, like what, what the fuck is, was Walton? Well, sometimes well, it's not on Walton. Like maybe the T is on him, but the Buddy mm. Hield situation, it's like, that's, that's, that's pretty much a joke. Yes. That's someone who's just disrespecting the coach straight up. Like, yes, that's what I so thought. If it if, wasn't just a terrible play call, it was the players not agreeing with the coach and just saying, fuck it. Interesting. So if Walton stays around, maybe Heald gets traded because Walton might be like, I can't deal with this guy. Where the, um, Get into yeah. the Mavs. Get Buddy to the Mavs. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what goes down because, it, it, as you say, it sounds like something has to occur um, uh, potentially before we do our, our pod next week and do the trade deadline preview that the Sacramento Kings might have already made a move by them, be it letting go of Luke Walton or, or potentially pulling the trigger on a deal if they like what what's on the table from another team. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on because, I mean, I, I saw the score. I didn't watch the game. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, I thought uh, Sacramento were going to be able to steal that one, actually. Um, and it sounds like, as you say, that, that T at the end of the third quarter was a momentum shift. Um, so, man... Good for my Charlotte Hornets overbet, but yeah, not not good for um, not good for Sacramento. Yeah, they're they're a real shit show. All right, perfect. Well, as you said, next week Darcy and I'll be back to do a Ooh. trade deadline preview. We'll basically go away and maybe look at three or four deals that we think could be put together. Maybe talk about candidates, guys that haven't been mentioned before that we think could potentially be on the move. I know we did a little bit of the trade deadline machine um, play around with Jordan when he came on the pod, but you know, over this next uh, five to seven day stretch, we might get some more news that could give us a better indication of where teams might be leaning Mm. with certain players. So that can help us with, um, uh, with the pod in particular next week. And uh, we'll definitely do a review after the deadline's happened. Um, but, uh, or maybe we even combine it. Maybe, maybe we maybe we do a before and after, or maybe we should just do an after, yeah. or we'll, we'll see. Anyway, keep keep an eye on the page. Uh, we'll definitely keep you updated. But yeah, Darcy and I will be and back next week to cover off on that for sure. Um Make sure, make sure you send us through. You know, if you're yeah. if you're interested in something you think might happening or someone you want us to talk about in, in the trade sphere, we definitely want to hear about hear from you. You know, we wanna yeah. we wanna be able to talk about your favorite team or which guy you think you can trade for. Uh, give us a buzz and we'll give you a shout out on the pod. Hundred percent. There's there's definitely plenty of people that give us a lot of feedback about our lock stuff. So you know, slide into the DMs and, and give us feedback about players you want to talk about, um, topics you want us to hit on. So we're we're open to all of that stuff. Uh, but in the meantime, Darcy and I will try and make sure we get our locks back on track. And uh, yes, sir. We hey. will uh, after Darcy gets it. Make uh, hey. all right. We'll settle on three. Um, so yeah, as I say. We'll uh, we'll be back next week. I uh, hope everyone enjoys the NBA action. Um, pretty sure Absolutely. there's a few good games over the next couple of days. Hopefully after this, check scores and the Mavs have, I think the game will still be going, but hopefully the Mavs have, have taken a bit of control over this Clippers team that I'm not very high on. But uh, 
other than that, mm -hmm. Dust, it's been great as always. I'll uh, speak to you soon, mate. All right, cheers, Chris.